I want you this morning to use your sanctified imagination. It is sometime in the first century, and you have been captured by Roman soldiers. You have been dragged from your native country, and you've been sold for a slave. And you have been stripped and whipped and branded and imprisoned, and you have been treated with shameful cruelty. And at long last the day comes, and you are appointed to die in the amphitheater because you're going to make sport there for a tyrant. The people of the city have gathered there and they filled the amphitheater with great anticipation and delight because it's a blood sport they love to watch. Tens of thousands of people are gathered there looking down at the floor of the Colosseum. And you stand there. And you're alone. And all you're armed with is a single dagger. Admittedly, a very poor defense against gigantic beasts. And then, standing there naked and alone with a dagger in the middle of the floor of the arena, you hear a door being drawn up by massive gears and machinery. And from deep within the caverns of the arena comes a lion, the king of beasts. You can take your dagger and you can slay the lion or you can be torn to pieces. And without a doubt, you know that this fight is going to be more than you can handle. And you know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Those long, sharp, jagged teeth are going to grind your bones, rip your flesh, and drip with your blood. And suddenly, something totally unexpected and amazing happens. A deliverer appears. A great unknown from among the crowd comes and confronts this savage beast of prey. Your deliverer does not cower or tremble at the roaring of the lion. Instead, your deliverer leaps upon the lion with a terrible fury. Until like a whipped cur, that lion slinks away toward his den, dragging himself along in pain. And in fear, the hero then comes to you. And the hero lifts you up and smiles into your bloodless, pale face. And the hero whispers in your ear and he says to you, rejoice, because you're free. Let me ask you a question. If you were in that situation, wouldn't you want to know who it was? Wouldn't you want to know who it was that came from the crowd and whipped the line and saved you from certain death? And what happens? 
what would your first question be? The guards take you into the open street and they say, you're free. Taking your first breath of fresh air. You would want to know who your deliverer was. But no one tells you. No one informs you who it was that saved you. And the next thing you know, you're led away to a great mansion. And there your wounds from the whippings you've endured are washed and are healed with the most powerful and gentle ointment. And you're dressed in the finest clothing you've ever seen and you sit down to a feast like you've never experienced before in your life. You go to bed that night on a mattress that's the finest you've ever seen. And the next morning you're awoke, awakened and you're cared for by servants. And the servants guard you. And the servants minister to you. And they take care of your every need and desire. Day after day, week after week, month after month, all of your wants are supplied. And you live like a member of the aristocracy. There's nothing you ask that you do not receive. Wouldn't our curiosity ripen until it developed into an insatiable craving to know who it was that was responsible for all of this? Every time you saw one of the servants, you'd say, tell me. Tell me who it is. Tell me who delivered me. Tell me who brought me here. Who is my benefactor? I must know my benefactor. Let me ask you a question. Have I imagined emotions that would be unnatural for any of us? Have I imagined emotions out of the realm of possibility for any of us? It's because Jesus Christ loved me. And because Jesus Christ gave Himself up for me, that I want to know Jesus Christ. Because He shed His blood for me. Because He shed His blood for my soul. I desire a fuller acquaintance with Him. In John chapter 15, and beginning in verse 13, Jesus there is talking to His disciples. The shadow of the cross is already lingering upon Him. And He says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, there's so many people in our world today that are content to live without knowing Jesus Christ. 
And I'm not thinking now about the alien sinner. I'm not thinking about the ungodly. I'm not thinking about the profane. I'm thinking about those who are saints of God today who are outer court worshipers. Folks who are strangers to a burning, insatiable desire to know Jesus. You remember what David said in Psalm 42 and verse 1? Jiggle that door, Rodney. David didn't say jiggle that door, Rodney. But that that door is going to vibrate till it drives me crazy, and that's not a long trip. Thank you. In Psalms 42 and verse 1, David said, As the heart panteth after the water's brook, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. As the red deer has a burning, insatiable desire for the cool, refreshing mountain stream after being heated in the chase. David said, My soul has an insatiable desire in that same way for You, O God, and for Your refreshing grace. I want to know God, and I want to please God. But there are those today that have no panting, insatiable desire to know the Lord. Paul would write to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. And he would write there and tell the Philippians of the desire that he had to know Jesus. He would write of the desire that he had to be found in Jesus. He would write there of how much he longed to know the Lord. There are a lot of folks today that say with Paul they want to win Jesus. And they want to be found in Jesus. But for a lot of folks, this higher desire, this life on a higher plane, this desire to know Jesus, that's a desire that hasn't yet really stirred in their hearts. There's so many folks. How many are there? That are content to know the historic life of Jesus. They read the Gospels. And they're charmed by the perfect beauty of the history of Jesus Christ. They know all the incidents of His life. From His birth in the manger to His death on the cross and all the miracles, the blind that He made to see and the deaf He made to hear and the lame He made to walk. They know all those things that took place in between. But sadly and tragically, they don't know Jesus. They know the life of Christ. But they do not know Christ the life. They admire His way among men. But they do not see Him as the way. And yet you remember, before He left this earth and He called His Disciples together, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again 
and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you might be also. They said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's in John 14, verse 6. And there are others that, that know Christ's doctrine. They know everything He taught and they prize the doctrine of Jesus. But they don't know Jesus. There are folks that are ready to go anywhere, anytime, and debate anybody about the doctrine of Jesus. Because everything that Jesus taught is near and dear to them. And they are instructed well and perfectly in the doctrine of Christ. But they know the doctrine of Christ, but they don't know the heart of Jesus Christ my Lord. They don't know His heart. There are those that know His example. They know His sacrifice. They know everything about Him. But they don't know Jesus. We must not. We cannot stop short of knowing Jesus in our spirituality. How many folks are there this day that have heard of Jesus? And that's enough for them. And how many are there that have read of Jesus? And that satisfies them. Folks, that should not be enough for us. When Paul wrote his last letter that's been preserved for us, he wrote it to his son in the Gospel, young timid Timothy. And he says in chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, I have heard of him on whom I have believed. That's not what Paul said. And Paul didn't say, I have read of him on whom I have believed. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. It was personal with Paul. It wasn't what he had read about Jesus. It wasn't what he had heard about Jesus. Paul said, I know Jesus Christ. We can't be content. And we cannot be satisfied. Until we know Jesus Christ and know Him as our friend, I'll be a friend to Jesus. When we know someone, we're acquainted with what they do. I know Jesus as a cleanser because Jesus cleansed me from the stain of sin. I know that Jesus has forgiven my sins. And when I think of Jesus coming to this earth and humbling Himself to come and dwell among men, it means the most to me when I realize that Jesus, leaving His throne in heaven and humbling Himself and coming to this earth, made it possible for my sins to be forgiven. I know Jesus as a cleanser. I also know Jesus as a clother. He's clothed me with something that's finer than anything I've ever known. You know I love a good bargain as much as anybody. 
we were, in the spring of the year, we were going through the Dillard stores looking for the bargain suits. And Norma's looking through and says, here's one that's half price. And I looked at the suit real quickly and I said, yeah, but half price for that one's a whole lot more than this poor boy's going to pay. She said, but half price, 50% off. And I said, Norma, that's a Hickey Freeman suit. And she says, what? I said, look at the price tag. Half price on that Hickey Freeman was $750. It's still in the store. Just thought I'd share that with you. Well, I know Jesus as a clother. And Jesus is going to put something on me finer than a closet full of Hickey Freeman suits. Because Jesus clothed me in a garment of righteousness. I know Jesus. I know Him as the shepherd who loves me. Who cares for me. Who leads me beside green pastures and still waters. Because I'm one of His sheep. And because I know Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ is my friend. And because Jesus Christ came to save my soul, my life has purpose and plan. You know, in spite of all of the achievements that mankind has, mankind is often like a cork bobbing up and down on the water. And oftentimes we leave little more behind when life is over than what you leave when you dip your finger in a glass of water and take it back out. For all of His achievements, for all of his advancements, modern man often leads a life that's void of any real purpose. That's void of any real meaning. But for those who come to know Jesus Christ, and for those who will come to know Jesus and will let Him work in their lives, Jesus can change this meaningless, purposeless manner of living into a rich, full, and meaningful existence. You see, knowing Jesus as our friend is something that brings peace of mind to our lives. That's one of the most desired, one of the most coveted, one of the most elusive achievements of our world today. But the promises of God constitute a foundation upon which we can build a life. A life free from fear. A life free from anxiety. That's not to say this world we live in is not a dangerous world. My goodness, it's a dangerous world. But it's to say that the promises of God enable us to face danger without being overcome by it. Do you remember what Paul said in Philippians 4? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will dwell in your hearts through Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus has given me peace of mind, and He's preparing me a place to live eternally. Now, you remember what the last part of that text we read a moment ago? Greater love hath no man than this, 
than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. One of the last things Jesus recorded for us was when He told those apostles that He was going to prepare a mansion for them in His Father's house. Who's that mansion for? It's for His friends. Who are His friends? Those who live His kind of life. Those who obey His commands. Those that do what He says. When temptations threaten to overwhelm us, when times of discouragement come in our lives, and they will come, it's a great help to remember that no matter the temptation, no matter the discouragement, no matter the trials, the difficulties, and the problems, Jesus is preparing a home in heaven for His friends who obey His will and live His kind of life. That gives us a new realization sometimes. That we're important. When those times in life come that we feel worthless and we feel insignificant and we feel like we're on the outside looking in, we know that with Jesus Christ as our friend, we have something great that's being prepared for. Now, the question before the house this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ? Not do you know about Him, but do you really know Jesus? I wish. And I've wished this a thousand times or more. I wish it every time I step in this pulpit or any other pulpit to preach. I wish I really knew I wish I had the vocabulary. I wish I had the ability I wish that I could somehow make Jesus Christ real to every person that I come in contact with. Because you see, if you've not come to Jesus and if Jesus is not your friend and you haven't lived His kind of life, then for you, Jesus just as well not have come. And I really wish I knew how to make Jesus real. Real to the point that folks would take His death for sin seriously. Real to the point that folks would take responsibility to Him earnestly. Real to the point that, that folks would pant like the heart David talked about to know Jesus. He said, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Part of that is His plan of salvation. That we believe on Him with all of our heart, turn our back on sin through repentance, confess His name, and be cleansed from sin in the waters of baptism. And then the rest of that is that we make Him Lord and Master of our lives. That we live His kind of life completely and fully. And you see, if Jesus is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. You have the opportunity to make Him Lord of all of your life as we stand.